0: In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. First of all, I want to wish everybody a blessed Feast of the Cross today. May the sign of the Cross, may the Holy Cross of our Savior protect us in our lives. By God's grace, we're going to be starting a new series on the Psalms, and praying with the Psalms. Today will serve as kind of an introduction, and then after that we'll contemplate one Psalm at a time especially the psalms that we find in the Agbeya and the Book of Hours, so that we can incorporate the psalms into our prayer. First, I want to start by saying that as Orthodox Christians, our relationship with God and our experience of Him is built on prayer. Prayer is an encounter with the living God. There's a great difference between Christianity and other religions that focus on meditation with an impersonal super-being, Or meditation upon a concept or a mantra. In Christianity, we feel the presence of a living and personal God. God has revealed himself to us in the incarnate Word, our Lord Jesus Christ. And in prayer, God participates in everything that takes place in our life. So prayer should not be a side activity or something that happens in the background. But rather, it should be the main content of our life, because our life is in Christ, and our goal is to be united with Him. And so prayer is this dialogue and this relationship that we have with our Lord. Of course, the liturgy stands at the heart of our prayer. And our communal worship in the liturgy can never be separated from our personal worship. In other words, our personal prayers flow into the liturgy, and the liturgy flows into our private prayer. These prayers flow into each other and remind us that even when we stand and pray privately in our homes, we are not alone and in isolation, but rather we are members of the one body in Christ. So, When we, as members of the church, are praying in our private room, for example, when we pray the Lord's Prayer, we don't say, my Father who art in heaven, or give me this day my daily bread, or forgive me my trespasses, or lead me not into temptation, but rather we say, our and we and us. The liturgy leads us into the very presence of our Lord Jesus Christ. And the prayers of the Divine Liturgy and our personal prayers prepare us for this meeting with our Lord. Sin creates a barrier between us and God. So sometimes when we're standing to pray, whether in liturgy or in our homes, we might feel like our, our encounter with God is superficial. And this is often as a result of our sins. We can even experience this superficiality, perhaps even in our daily conversations with with other people around us. So for example, if I am talking with a coworker, with whom I have very little in common, I probably won't be able to engage in much more than superficial chit chat, maybe just asking about their well being or talking about the weather or some current events, but that's about it. In other words, when I find myself on a different wavelength than the other person, or I have, I can't find any common ground with the other person, then I, it's very difficult to engage in any deeper conversation. So the common ground between us and God is to have a share in His holiness. If my sins are preventing me or creating a barrier between me and God, it's going to be very difficult to acquire any kind of depth in my prayer. So we ask God to make us holy, to forgive us our sins, to sanctify us or to consecrate us and set us apart from this world so that we can have a real dialogue and a real relationship with our Lord Jesus Christ. And this is exactly what happens in the liturgy. We take ordinary bread and wine, it's consecrated, we pray over it, it's set apart to become the real body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. And at the same time, during the liturgy, we are being set apart in order to partake of the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is very clear in, in many of the prayers of the liturgy. So, for example, in the fraction prayer, that we say throughout the year, towards the end of the liturgy, the priest prays and says, O God, you have sanctified these gifts, which are set forth through the coming down upon them of your Holy Spirit. In other words, that these, the bread and wine, has been set apart or has been made holy and has become the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. The priest says, You have purified them. Then what's the next line? Purify us also, our master from our sins, the hidden and the manifest. And throughout the liturgy, we're constantly praying, Lord, have mercy, O Lord, grant us the forgiveness of our sins in order to remove this barrier of sin, in order to enter into this relationship and to be united with our Lord Jesus Christ. And in as much as we can, to be worthy of, To receive the body and blood of our Lord. Of course, we are unworthy of this great gift, but we have to be prepared and ready. So, if the liturgy stands at the heart of our Orthodox worship um, and prayer is so important in our relationship with God, what can we do when we're physically away from the church? the foundation of, of, of any home uh, through marriage and the creation of the family, it reminds us that in the wedding ceremony, in the marriage ceremony, after the reading of the Gospel, there's a Gospel response, a hymn that's chanted. And in this hymn it says, those who have, whom the Holy Spirit has attuned together, meaning the husband and wife, the bride and the groom, Those whom the Holy Spirit has attuned together as a stringed instrument, always blessing God. How? By psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, by day and by night with an incessant heart. So even from the start of the marriage, from the foundation of the family, from the foundation of the home, the husband and wife are called to be united together. And they are united or attuned together like a stringed instrument, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. So we are called to pray the psalms in our homes and in our private prayers. The means that's given to us is, of course, the canonical hours of the Agbeya. The book of the Agbeya, as we know, is comprised of seven hours of prayer. The first hour, the third hour, the sixth hour, and so on. And each hour commemorates an event in the life of our Lord Jesus Christ and his church and recalls to us the plan of salvation. And in each hour of the Egbeya, we find an arrangement of psalms. And if we pay close attention to this arrangement and the psalms that are in each hour, we find that the psalms can somehow relate to the events of this hour. So for example... In the first hour of the Igbeya, which we in which we commemorate the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ, in Psalm three we we read, I laid down and slept, and then what? I arose. So this is kind of a resurrection. And also in Psalm fifteen, in the first hour, we say, and we pray, You shall not leave my soul in Hades, neither shall you suffer your holy one, meaning Christ, to see corruption. And this is pointing to Christ's Conquering of death by death, his descent into Hades, and then raising us up with him. Uh, Another example in the third hour, in which we commemorate the descent of the Holy Spirit upon the Church, upon the Holy Disciples, and honored Apostles in the third hour, we read in the famous psalm, the well-known psalm, The Lord is my shepherd, or The Lord is he who shepherds me, in Psalm 22, or in other numbering, Psalm 23. You have anointed my head with oil, and this anointing is a sign of the Holy Spirit. The psalms are meant to be chanted, and the word psalm in Hebrew, which is very similar to the Arabic, is mizmor, which demonstrates a twanging of the fingers on a harp, or a song to be sung on the harp. And if you look at the psalms in the Bible, for example, like in the New King James Version of the Bible, you might see... In some of the psalms, the word selah, which is S-E-L-A-H, which means to lift up or to raise. And so perhaps as these psalms were being chanted, the music or the voice rises at these indicated points. Or maybe the people raise up their hands, lift up their hands or their head or their eyes as an act of worship. So we see the elements of worship and the elements of chanting or singing in the psalms. Uh, I'll just mention also concerning the numbering of the Psalms If you open up um, some of the commonly used Bibles Like the New King James Version of the Bible You'll find that the numbering of the Psalms is a little bit different Than what we have in the Septuagint In the Greek translation of the Bible which On which the Orthodox Study Bible, for example, is based Or the numbering of the Psalms in the Agbeya um, And this basically has to do with the fact that uh, the Bible, like the New King James Version of the Bible, is based on the Hebrew canon or the Masoretic text, uh, whereas the egbeya for example, is based on the Septuagint, as I mentioned, is the Greek translation of the Bible. Um, and without going into a lot of details, uh, basically in the Masoretic text, in the Hebrew canon, Psalm 9 is split into both Psalm 9 and 10. So the numbering of the Psalms from 1 through 9 are similar or one through eight are exactly the same but in the hebrew canon in the masoretic text psalm nine and ten sorry psalm nine is split into nine and ten whereas this is only one psalm psalm nine in the septuagint so more or less throughout the rest of the numbering of the psalms you'll find that the um The numbering of the psalms in the New King James Version of the Bible, for example, is always one higher than what we find in the Egbe or in the Septuagint. There's also a split and a recombination that happens in the Septuagint around Psalm 114 and 115, and then Psalm 116 in the Masoretic text and the New King James Version of the Bible, but these are reconciled. And so the numbering of the psalms is off by one, basically, from Psalm 9 up until Psalm 147, and then, whereas uh, in the New King James Version, Psalm 147 is actually one psalm, it's, it's split in two uh, in, the, uh, uh, in the Septuagint. And so, after that, it, the numbering reconciles, and then Psalm 148, 149, and 150 are the same in both texts. And the Septuagint also adds Psalm 151, which we pray on Bright Saturday. Uh, I am small among my brothers, I am the youngest in my father's house which speaks about King David as a shepherd and then how he defeated Goliath In the book of Psalms, just to provide a little bit more introduction to the book itself there's about 73 psalms that are explicitly attributed to King David 24 psalms are ascribed to Asaph, the sons of Korah, Heman, and Ethan, who were singers and musicians that were appointed by David for the communal worship at Jerusalem. Two psalms are attributed to Moses, and one or two psalms may have been written by Solomon. The remaining psalms are anonymous, but some are thought to have been written by King David. But in general, we attribute the whole book of psalms to King David, perhaps as a reflection that he's the ideal king, with whom the people identified with um, as they came before God in worship, or as a, a symbol of our Lord Jesus Christ as, as the, as the king, coming king who would ful- fulfill the hopes of Israel. Also during the time of King David, Jerusalem became the center of worship, and perhaps he collected most of these psalms and sang them or arranged them for the liturgical worship in the, um, what would later be the temple that his son Solomon would build. The Psalms can be divided into two categories as well. The Psalms that are composed before the exile, uh, the Babylonian exile uh, and the era of the first temple that was built by Solomon. And then those that were composed after the kingdom of Judah returned back to Jerusalem after the exile in Babylon, which happened in the 500s uh, B.C. Um, after the kingdom of Israel had been split into two, the northern and the southern kingdom. So this is referring to the exile of the southern kingdom. And so if we consider that two of the psalms are attributed to Moses, who lived maybe around 1500 BC, and then we have some psalms that are composed after the exile or um, of of the kingdom of Judah into Babylon and then the return back to Jerusalem, We have the psalms spanning perhaps over a period of 800 or 1,000 years, and yet the book of psalms seems to be composed by one author, which is a reflection, of course, of the Holy Spirit. (coughs) We can further divide the psalms even more into different categories according to their content. So for example, we have some psalms of lament, like Psalm 12 in the Agbeya, How long, O Lord, do you forget me forever? How long do you hide your face away from me? So these psalms ask for God's help. They have an element of sadness or a lament or a complaint. Um, and there's a petition for God's help. So look, hearken to me, O Lord, my God. But it always ends. It doesn't continue complaining until the end of the psalm. But it always ends on a note of hope and trust. And so in this the case of this psalm, for example... But I have hoped in your mercy, my heart will rejoice in your salvation. I will praise the Lord who has done good to me, and I will sing to the name of the Lord Most High. We also have psalms of praise, which consist of a call to praise God and the reasons for praising Him. The shortest of these is Psalm 116, in the 11th hour of the Igbaya, Praise the Lord, all you nations. Let all the peoples praise Him, for His mercy has been established upon us, and the truth of the Lord endures forever. We also have Psalms that are almost considered historical in, in the sense that they catalog all of the deeds that God has done with His people. And one example is Psalm 135, which we chant in the Midnight Praise, O oh, give thanks to the Lord for His good, for His mercy endures forever. And then it goes on to describe about how God took care of His people in the wilderness and how He helped them conquer their enemies and so on. So this is kind of a reminder of the history of how God uh, dealt with his people and took care of them so that we also feel comforted that he will take care of us in our times of, of trouble as well. We have Psalms of Repentance, of course the most famous being Psalm 50 in which, which we say in the introduction of every hour of the Igbe, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your great mercy. We have Wisdom Psalms. Uh, for example, Psalm 1, which contrasts good and evil, Blessed is the man who has not walked in the counsel of the ungodly and has not stood in the way of the sinners and has not sat in the seat of the evil man, but his will is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he shall meditate day and night, and so on. And so it talks about the person who follows the way of truth, the person who follows good, and then the one who follows the way of the world or the way of evil. We have royal psalms dealing with the kingship of God. So for example, in Psalm 44 of the Agbe, in the third hour, it says, My heart has poured forth a good word. I will declare my works to the king. And there's also a famous verse there. Hear, O daughter, see and incline your ear. Forget your people and your father's house, because the king has desired your beauty, for indeed he is your Lord and you shall worship him, which we often Uses a prophecy regarding St. Mary as well (coughs) Lastly We also have messianic psalms Or psalms that prophesy about the coming of the Messiah So for example in the Septuagint And in the Egbe In the ninth hour of the Egbe We pray Psalm 109 Which says The Lord said to my Lord sit at uh, sit on my right hand until i place your enemies under your feet and this psalm even was referred to by our lord jesus christ in his ministry uh, when he asked the scribes and the pharisees about this psalm and how david could could say the lord said to my lord this psalm also says from the womb before the morning star i've begotten you the lord has sworn and will shall not repent you are the priest forever after the order of melchizedek so it's talking about the coming of our Lord and God and Savior, Jesus Christ. This brings us to really the main characteristics, the main characteristic, I should say, of the Psalms. If we look at the Old Testament as a whole, the Old Testament is divided into different sections of books. We have the books of the law, which are Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And in these five books, we find... The story of creation, the history of the patriarchs, the exodus out of Egypt, the law itself. Then we find historical books. So we have the books of the law, followed by the books of history in the Old Testament, in which we have uh, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, which describe the era of the judges. Um, the kingdom of Israel, the division of the kingdom, the exile, the return from exile, the rebuilding of the temple, uh, and the rebuilding of the city of Jerusalem. We also have wisdom books um, like Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon. And then we have the books of prophecy in which God spoke to his people and these books also foretell the coming of our savior if we look at the book of psalms it captures all of these categories of the old testament and really then the book of psalms because becomes a whole old testament in and of itself and the epitome really of the whole bible because in our lord jesus christ the whole old testament is a new testament christ unites the whole bible together So if we're looking at the Old Testament and all of the events that are mentioned in the Old Testament, these are also captured in the Psalms as well. And so St. Jerome, for example, calls the Psalms the Bible within the Bible, because we find all of the events, creation and uh, the possession of the land and the exodus out of Egypt and all of these things are captured in the book of Psalms and as well as, Prophecies about the manifestation of our Lord Jesus Christ If all of these events point to Christ himself Then the heart of the Psalms is Christ himself And if the Psalms describe our salvation And our consolation Where can we find this except in the person of our Lord Jesus Christ? So we cannot simply say that the Psalms is just one book out of the Old Testament But it really belongs to the whole of Scripture and as i said in christ the entire old testament turns into a new testament book even when we consider the liturgy for example or our liturgical cycle throughout the year with the exception <clears throat> excuse me with the exception of great lent and holy week the old testament is not part of our regular readings we don't read from the books of the old testament on for example on the sunday liturgy we only read from the new testament however there's one exception which is the book of Psalms. A psalm always precedes the gospel, right? So even though we don't read from the Old Testament throughout the year, we are reading from the psalms every single liturgy, every single Vespers, every single Matins. Uh, And so we can almost say that when the psalm is read before the gospel, we can almost say like the psalm is a royal march introducing the King, our Lord Jesus Christ. So right after the chanting of the psalm, the priest emerges from the altar and says, "Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord." As if the psalms are announcing, uh, and leading to this announcement of the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, which we see, who, whom we see very clearly in the gospel. And so we can say uh, that the knot that ties the psalms and the gospel, gospel together, is is very tight. Okay. Okay lastly i just want to conclude with the idea of of our relationship with the psalms by now we've said too much about the psalms and what we can expect to to see in the book of psalms and some of the characteristics and the and the categories of the psalms but we simply need to stand and pray and make the psalms our own there's a lot of value in using written prayers like the psalms and the liturgy. In our life of prayer, it shouldn't just be, um, of course, we can pray personally from our hearts and express to God what we want to in our own words, but oftentimes when we pray, we don't know what to say. And so the value of the written prayers uh, is that they they can become our own after some time, and they teach us how to pray and how to develop this relationship and communicate with our Lord God and Savior Jesus Christ. So the prayers that comprise the Psalms and the Divine Liturgy are deep. And so imagine if these prayers are, for example, some people might complain that the liturgy is the same from week to week. It's it's boring. It's monotonous. It's the same thing. Routine, routine, routine. Um, However, there is... There's great value in that because imagine if we had a different liturgy every single week with different prayers, we would never be able to enter into their depth. It would just always kind of be a superficial um, encounter all the time. Different prayers that we can't fully digest in in, in the liturgy, or if we had uh, if we were just left to, on our own to pray without any direction from the psalms. Um, we would not be able to enter into the depth of our of our life and prayer. One analogy that we can think of is that imagine if you're taking piano lessons and one week your piano teacher gives you a piece by Mozart, for example, to play on the piano, and you start learning it slowly and as your fingers finally get used to the movement of the piece, your lesson ends. So you return back the next week for your lesson and you think I'm going to continue developing. In this song that I started learning the week before Instead now your teacher puts another arrangement in front of you By a different com- composer And then just as you start to learn this new piece The lesson ends And then you come back the following week And then the, the teacher puts another lesson in front of you So what's happening is that The student, the music student Is not going to be able to learn one piece of music well uh, It will just be consist- constantly changing But when a person starts to learn a piece of music and practices it day after day week after week soon the person doesn't need to read the notes anymore they know all of the movements they know exactly how it sounds then they can just start playing it seamlessly without thinking and then they can enter into the depth of the music and the emotion of the music and so on and so this piece becomes a part of the person and so we might say that this the same thing happens with the praying with the psalms and in the liturgy. At first, the liturgies' prayers, the, the liturgical prayers or the, the psalms themselves are are foreign to us. But as we keep visiting them and revisiting them day after day and week after week and contemplate and think about it and apply it in our lives and enter into their depths and ask God to give us understanding so that we can understand what we're praying as well, then soon the whole life becomes liturgy. The whole life becomes um, this relationship with the Psalms and the words of, of King David, for example, become our own. And we start uh, meditating and thinking about the Psalms and they continue just to flow out of us as we learn them and memorize them. There are psalms for every occasion, every emotional and spiritual feeling, every age and stage of life, and so there is no better way for us to express our thoughts, our desires, our frustrations, our joy, our repentance, our supplications, and our praise before God except in the psalms. Okay, I will just conclude uh, very briefly with some. A few words from St. Athanasius. He has a letter to Marcellinus concerning the Psalms. And he says very simply, In the Psalter, or in the book of Psalms, it's referred to as the Psalter, In the Psalter you learn about yourself. You find depicted in it all the movements of the soul, all its changes, its ups and downs, its failures and recoveries. For I think that in the words of this book, all human life is covered with all its states and thoughts. Glory be to God forever. Amen.